Welcome to the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. Because Winnipeg is located on Treaty 1 territory, we acknowledge that Treaty 1 is the homeland of Anishinaabeg, Cree, OG Cree, Dakota, Diné peoples, and the Métis Nation. The provincial and federal governments in Canada carried out genocide, ethnic cleansing, and forced removal of Indigenous people in order to clear the land for settlement by Europeans. The colonization and oppression of Indigenous peoples is not a thing of the past, it continues today. Around the world, Indigenous peoples are leaders in the fight against capitalism and environmental destruction. We have a lot to learn from Indigenous cultures and teachings that will help heal our relationship with the land and with each other. Anytime, Jesslyn, you can take it away. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about eco-socialism and why it's worth fighting for. Um, My name is Jesslyn Best, and I'm a member with Solidarity Winnipeg. My name's Robbie Johansson. I'm Posey. I'm Teddy. And I'm John. So I guess to start things off and why eco-socialism is worth fighting for, we need to recognize that capitalism as a system is a problem and all of the things that make it a problem are the reasons why we need an alternative. So capitalism exploits the natural resources and commodifies people, which is our mental and manual capacities. And this forces people to seek wage work and leaves millions of people whose labor power is not needed or valued to try and survive for one more day. So an example of this might be garbage pickers in the slums. Capitalism creates mass social and economic inequalities, and many people across the world are suffering because of capitalism. Yeah. Ultimately, at the end of the day, somebody who works for a wage will always be making less then they c- contribute because an employer will never hire you for as much as you make. They will never pay you your full value. They will always pay you slightly less or a lot less so that they can pocket that little bit for themselves. Um, another thing is, is that capitalism just is not a sustainable system. So as natural resources continue to be depleted in the system, um, climate change continues to displace people. We will see more humanitarian, social, health, and economic crises in our future. Part of that as well is uh, what's called the uh, tendency for the rate of profit to fall, which is a sort of a complicated concept. But basically, as time goes on, capitalism, the average rate of profit of all firms goes down and we can see how this is interacted with our world because capitalists have to make up for this so during the 1980s uh this was a big turning point where you know uh, beginning of neoliberalism and this was a time where the uh, rate of profit in the 70s had been going down quite a bit this had caused capitalism to go into uh, a prolonged crisis And neoliberalism was the solution so that they could extract more value and oppress workers more. 
And with the growth of capitalism, we've been seeing that um, climate change is happening more and more. There's more extreme weather. The oceans are acidifying. There's been land degradation, and we have the melting of glaciers happening, water scarcity, the, the overexploitation of fisheries. Uh, there's mass factory farming, and there's been a lot of loss of biodiversity and ecology in our, um, in our natural world. Um, capitalism also requires the constant economic growth. Uh, and when this growth stops, the whole system will go into crises. Um, so when the resources are not infinite, the system will not last, which means that we're borrowing the time and health of future generations for, quote unquote, the economic and technological and developmental gains, which we know that um, when the system doesn't last, these gains really aren't aren't anything to be moving forward with. So um, anything that we do or don't do now will have an impact on future generations and biodiversity. Yeah, and those economic gains, where they go, who are they going to? Uh, it's not you and me. It's you know some rich asshole. Uh, I mean, the number of people in poverty is at an all-time high. The like the actual number of people. We we live in a time of unprecedented splendor, unprecedented wealth. And yet we have more people starving, more people dying of preventable disease, more people in extreme poverty than ever before. That's insane. So then the means of production are owned by the capitalist class and the wealth is accumulated by the labor of the workers um, who try to survive by selling their labor on a wage that is set by the owners. So the worker has no ownership over their own labor or the products or services that their labor produce, and they're forced to buy back products that they've worked hard to produce. So something to think about would be like, what would it look like if production was based on its impact on the natural world and based on what was useful versus, versus what made money? Awesome, you too. So that that's when Teddy and I come in um, to say that, yeah, capitalism is just one mode of production. And it's what we're living under now. But there's many different ways that people produce things to survive, to trade, to sell. Um, and the mode of production that Solidarity Winnipeg endorses is eco-socialism. And there's a lot of different definitions of socialism and also different definitions of eco-socialism. So I'm just going to quickly quote from Solidarity Winnipeg's eco-socialism policy. So quote, for us, eco-socialism would be a society in which production would be democratically planned and all forms of oppression uprooted. The relationship between people and the rest of nature would be completely transformed. Efforts would be underway to repair ecological damage. Class division and state power would have withered away along with commodity production and wage labor. Yeah, that's that's really, really different than how capitalism is. And I want yeah, to just, a lot. <laughs> like, a lot entirely, you know, way better. <laughs> Let's go with that one. <laughs> Sounds good. Easy peasy. 
I want to add to one thing or to some things that Jesslyn and Robbie were talking about, which is like, you know, when you think about the the way that capitalism is uh, exhausting resources and trying to expand impossibly, endless, endless growth and the constant need to keep getting bigger and bigger. Uh, and also other things connected to the the way that the rate of profit falls and also bosses paying people less than the value workers, less than their value. I think a, a key idea to to connect into our view of um, eco-socialism in contrast to capitalism is that uh, capital, capitalism requires, it's a structural it's a system that structurally is based upon chasing profit and also intense, intense nonstop competition. That competition is what keeps forcing this endless dynamic of go, 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 grow, 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 expand, 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 pay people less, 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 because the second anyone in that system stops doing it, if they're an owner, if they're a capitalist, they get taken out by another capitalist that's in competition with them. And so when we think about eco-socialism, which doesn't prioritize profit, but instead prioritizes human need, the needs of the environment, human flourishing, life on earth, it prioritizes that instead of profit owned by a few. And it also is not a system based on intense competition where workers are competing with each other and that scales up to states, uh, businesses competing with each other and then up to states competing with each other and causing trade and military wars around the world. Eco-socialism is a radically different system where we arrange our society not based on competition and not based on chasing profit, but on very, very different values. Um, I think we should talk about um, democratic planning a little bit, because I think something that Jesslyn and Robbie were hammering home is this idea that, you know, we think that we live under a political democracy, but really in the whole realm of work and production, workers have no say, right? Like it is a, it is completely up to the owner of the means of production to decide what happens, right? Totally. And market forces. So what does it look like if the labor that you're currently trying to sell on this market, trying to sell the capitalists to create profit, what does it look like if we use all of the human's possibility and labor forces um, for something that we democratically plan is worth our time, right? Um, so that's, I think, the kind of core to our vision for eco-socialism. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a big part of that is removing a feature that is so normalized in capitalism, which is the things we need to live, our, our, our homes, our, our food, our um, energy consumption, it's all treated as commodities, uh, commodities that are not planned in how they're produced, not coordinated and how it's distributed in a way that's aiming to minimize human suffering and minimize environmental destruction and instead encourage happiness and positivity and human flourishing and all that so yeah planning planning is 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 necessary to be able to do the things that any society needs to do in terms of meeting its needs but doing it in a way that actually has the goal and accomplishes not harming people um, to do that. 
Yeah, and I think one of the the most pernicious myths of capitalism that we're raised with is the idea that the free market forces are like the best organizational meritocracy cream rises to the top the things that we have demand for capitalism will supply for us and so on and so forth but you know why do we need advertising <laughs> right like there's yeah. so much that is wasted why do grocery stores throw out food why do you know any number of things you can imagine any aspect of your life where things are are wasteful you know why do but like even in terms of the pandemic why why aren't we all getting the vaccine and as quickly as possible, right? Um, like there are so many positive things that have been created under capitalism. I wouldn't necessarily say because of capitalism, but the technology and the capacity that we have now globally to get things done is pretty massive. Um, but right now, the the motive that's driving that is profit for the few, right? Instead of what's in the best interests of the many. So we believe that under eco-socialism, we could use those forces to create something that would make sure that everyone's needs are met and not just material needs, but cultural needs, you know, authentic, like all parts that make a human life wonderful. Um, we have, we all have the ability to create those. <laughs> housing, for instance, because everyone knows we're in a major housing crisis right now. And if you pay rent, you know that we basically like we live under capitalism, but some aspects feel more like feudalism and that you, you know, work a wage job to pay rent to a landlord who does nothing except for owns property. But that we have the ability to house everyone. And not only that, but we have the technology right now that if we wanted to reduce housing and office buildings and stuff like that by 50 to 80 percent, but we just don't do it because there's no profit idea that drives that. Right. So a lot of kind of um, I would say in, in my generation in particular, I'm a millennial, as I think most of us are, Robbie, you're not. Um, the, there's a, an amount of nihilism that these things aren't possible. But I think one of the key things that makes eco-socialism possible is that we have the capabilities to do these things. But right now, what drives things to come into the world is whether you can get investment, whether you can make profit, like this whole awful startup culture we live in. Um, it really doesn't have to be that way. If we had democratic planning at every level and people could, you know, fight for what they think would make a better world, then a better world is possible. Yeah, totally. You phrase that so well. Like you, that's such a great description of how it could be different using what we already have. And I think it's really worth it too, to, to, to take a chance to unpack, like what sometimes people think are obstacles, like they're not being the right technology or. Um, other things like that when actually as you just pointed out it's it's actually like the the social relations that determine why things are not happening in the better interest of people and in the environment right now it's actually because there's this disproportionate amount of power and control held by a very small group of people rather than it being actually democratic and that is not something we need brand new technology to accomplish it's we need a different arrangement of society with what we already have so, yeah. yeah even the fact that you know automation is framed as something that's like a crisis for workers because it means that 
capitalists can pay workers less because they can have automation do things that people would do for them and they don't have to pay people because it's robots or whatever. Imagine if that time, because that's, you know, the creation of time basically was owned by all of us. If every efficiency, quote unquote, under capitalism was owned by the public and owned by the majority, then that would mean that so many people wouldn't have to do bullshit stuff just to make a wage, right? Um, or that, you know, unemployment wouldn't necessarily be a problem at all because of what we need to survive and to thrive and to combat climate crisis was being met by the technology we have, then a lot of people would have a lot more free time and that wouldn't be a crisis. Totally, totally. I, and I think also the free time point can't be stated enough. Like we're already so used to living in a way where we just take it for granted that we have to either work or go to school or spend a lot amount of our time not doing things that are for ourselves, that are for our own interest, that are self-directed. It's just that's considered fun. You do fun on your own time and your own time exists between when you're not sleeping enough or when you're uh, at the end of your work shift or whatever. But if, you know, the real part of your day or the, the major part of the day that we're supposed to just take uh, for granted is the exchange of how we spend the time, the brief time we really have on this earth is to spend working, working, working. And, um, but that exactly, like, if you think about, well, in another arrangement of society where the needs we have are not met through buying commodities that are sold for profit, but instead people are given what they need and work ends up being, this is the amount of work it takes to actually get things done to, to meet the needs of society instead of this is how much it takes to um, accomplish what Robbie described at the beginning, which is line the pocket of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all those other people who are very, very wealthy without doing any work of their own. Um, we would have a lot more free time. So yeah, I think that's that's something that everyone probably wants more of. And I think it's all these things we're describing here when we're talking about eco-socialism and what it could be and how we really have a lot of what we need to make it happen already show that um, it is a possible thing. There's not some magic thing that hasn't been invented that we require to get to that place. Um, and it's possible, but I think it's always worth mentioning too at the same time that just because it's possible doesn't mean it's a guarantee or that it's likely or that it's going to happen no matter that our decisions have no bearing on what the future might be. I think it's, it's good to know that it's possible and not close out our imagination from even thinking that we could have a society like eco-socialism. But I think at the same time, if you're wanting that kind of society, you have to really ask the question of like, well, what would it take? How can we get there? Why don't we just, why don't we automatically get there? Um, what would make it more likely? What can we actually do? And what's the way? So I think it's not the case that just because it's possible, it's likely, but I think it's very important for us to push back against uh, the idea that foods that it's not possible at all and therefore shuts down any possibilities of us taking any kinds of action in the here and now to help that happen. That does lead us to our next point about strategy. But I do want to say that if we believe what we believe about capitalism, which I, I don't want to be too catastrophic about it, but you know, we know the scope of the, the challenges we're facing right now, climate change, pandemic, 
like, you know, <laughs> saying we were talking about this podcast that this is the first of many pandemics, right? That within capitalism is this, this drive for exploitation of land and people that, you know, it's never enough, right? So if we believe that, I think that we really have to fight for something different. It's not enough to just sit back and be like, well, world's on fire. This is fine. Um, I'm going to be, you know, because really we're not going to be dead before the worst of it. The worst of it is probably coming in my lifetime, assuming that I'm going to live to 80 or whatever, which is knock on wood. But yeah, or longer, I, I hope. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. So what what am I going to do between now now and uh, when I'm 80? So that's that's the next point. Um, which, <laughs> which is how are we how are we as a group, Solidarity Winnipeg? Um, what do we think is the strategy to get rid of capitalism and replace it with what we think is the better better option? I think one thing, and just you were kind of talking about this posy. Um, recognizing that there's an immediate need to to do something and to act now because we are coming to this point where we're going to see many crises in our lifetime um and although like maybe we won't be able to reverse all of the damage that's already been done we can certainly slow it down and any groundwork that we do now will benefit um you know future generations and uh you know nature and ecology biodiversity um so it's very important that we don't just kind of let this mindset take over that well nothing there's nothing i can really do about this like it's not going to change in my lifetime so i'll leave it to the next generation to figure out like we're so beyond that point and we all have the, the responsibility um, to our communities, to future generations, to the natural world to, um, you know, take a stand and say that enough is enough. We, we, need a, we need a different solution. Capitalism does not work. It is not working and things are going to get much worse. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, I think to like for an example of something, that uh like isn't talked about much by really anybody is uh, is soil erosion it might seem something like something boring but if things go on the way they are in about 60 years uh it'll be impossible to farm because the topsoil of the planet will have eroded to such a length that there will just be no more nutrients in it to be able to farm with. And this is an extremely fixable problem. Like there are farming techniques that we know of. They're more labor intensive. You'd need more people farming, but we know the techniques you need to fix this. The only problem is, well, they require more labor. They're more expensive and they are just so long-term a solution. and so socialist solution that they are not in the interests of capital to be doing right now and so we're just going to be sort of limping along to this uh, you know apocalypse unless something is done that's where we come in yeah that is where we come in um so before we talk about our strategy i think we gotta kind of talk about some of the ones that we 
for whatever reason, don't necessarily support um, for radically changing society. So I'm going to kind of briefly, oh so briefly, talk about electoralism, even though it's something a lot of people are talking about and grappling about. You know, we had an election year in the States and things in Canada are looking pretty dire with the NDP and the Green Party. Um, so I don't want to get into the ins and outs of, of voting or um, reformism right now, but just kind of the central idea of whether is electing people a sound strategy for beginning a transition from capitalism to eco-socialism? Like, can we vote in the right people with the right ideas? Can we vote in that eco-socialist leader um, to bring about some sort of change to completely change the system that we have? And I wish, I do really wish we could, but um, history and reality tells us that that's not gonna work. And one of the main reasons is that in Canada, the way our parliamentary democracy is set up, the way it's structured fundamentally, is to protect capital and the ruling class from the majority. Um, we live in a settler colonial country, um, and the whole premise of our country is to, you know, allow for the extraction of natural resources and then create a settler society that follows from that to secure that land. So there's really only so much you can do within a system that is set up to do that one task. And then I would also just say that if we, if eco-socialism, the fundamental idea of eco-socialism is to create a society that's radically democratic at all levels, right? From every way in which we organize society, you have a say in what happens. We have to have the working class majority represent itself. We can't substitute that majority with a politician or a single party, even if they have the right politics. Even if we vote on the right person, it all works out great. We're still going to run into problems because capital is going to protect itself. Yeah. And that that's uh, the uh, part that I've uh, chosen to uh, discuss, and that is substitutionism. Electoralism is a form of substitutionism where you substitute the self-liberation of the working class with something else, like a, a, a an electoral party. But there's also other ways, like, for example, um, sort of radical minorities, uh, usually students, uh, trying to substitute the working class for themselves. And, you know, for example, in, in an armed struggle or something. And this doesn't work. It, it never has. Like, just historically speaking, you look back uh, and everywhere this has been tried, it has failed. Uh, in the 1960s, and, or really in the 60s, 70s and 80s, you had groups like um, the uh, Front, uh, Front de Libération uh, Québécoise, the uh, Symbionese Liberation Army, the uh, all those groups, uh, the Bader Meinhof gang, uh, the Red Brigades in Italy, none of them worked. They all failed, and they were also all, to one degree or another, uh, infiltrated or controlled by intelligence agencies, because these were not working class organizations. These were made up of, you know, uh, mostly petty bourgeois students or. Uh, people from the very, very fringes of society sort of uh, attracted to them. And this isn't the way that you have, this isn't how you make social revolution. The way you make social revolution has to be by, for, and of the working class. 
Yeah, and I think that's really important in our ability to build movements by having large numbers of people come forward from the um, working class and from oppressed groups, because at the end of the day, we really do need to think about the people who capitalism completely oppresses. We can think about Indigenous communities, um, BIPOC communities, and people who have disabilities. Um, The fight really needs to be mobilizing everybody together um, so that the demands can't be ignored, the revolution can't be ignored. And that is just like the power in people is just massive. And we've seen this in like... in the idea of reformist ideas, especially for potentially like the Black Lives Matter movement down in America, when you have people come together in in big masses like that, it's really hard to ignore what they're calling for. I know capitalism has still done that, um, especially in the BLM movement, but it it certainly gets the message across when you have thousands or millions of people come together to say that they're not happy. And I want to just say that the working class is the actual working class. When you think about it in the class structure of capitalism is multiracial, multi-abilityed, multi-gendered, multi-sexuality, multi-ethnic, multi, uh, multi, it's, it's, a, it's a diverse, diverse group. It's not just like a tiny um, reduced to one dominant group of, of anything. So so keeping the anti-oppressive front and center and at the same time like a challenging on a class level is is crucial it's crucial and the reason why that's so important um thinking about a structure of capitalism requires the exploiting of of people in large numbers by a few by people a few people in that position of power in that position of control and so it's actually the large numbers that is our structural advantage it's our structural advantage there that that is there for us to wield in our favor if we can get organized in the way we need to. And the point about like um, Canada being a settler colonial government, which is there to protect natural resource extraction by the ruling classes, is crucial. It's a key point here. And it reminds me too that even in non-settler colonial capitalist governments like um, a very, very left-wing coalition of uh, left-wing governments in Greece in 2015, which is Syriza, um, not a settler colonial government, but still capitalist, but even more left than the NDP. And um, even though the whole Greek population voted in a referendum in 2015 and voted no, having to pay egregious, egregious, egregious like uh, payments to the European banks, um, to get for the honor of getting bailed out um and essentially impose austerity that was like uh, killing a lot of people um there there you had the left left wing coalition government totally sell out the the greek population which voted which voted against this so even thinking about the limits of electoral democracy when you can have such a left wing government still not be able to do what was literally voted they were literally voted to do in a referendum um but instead um that they turn around and they save the the they act in favor of the banks the european central banks uh, and that's a left-wing government so 
if that's you know that says a lot about what we can hope for from a radical from the best within a capitalist democracy and the point that i'm going to get to is just talking about in the process of doing in, in the process of getting the change we need mass social movements and, and being in sustained kind of struggle um not just one workplace not just one community but many places uh for an ongoing amount of time yes just like we saw with and what we're seeing with black lives matter and anti-police uh riots and anti-racism riots and demonstrations that have been happening uh for the whole pandemic across north america and across the world um those kinds of mass social struggles are so important because they they actually change us in the process of doing it not only do we learn strategies in the process of doing it what works what doesn't work as time and as capitalists are always changing their their specific tactics of trying to oppress us so we learn like how to how to adapt in those struggles but even more important than that or at least as equally important is that we we change a lot of people quickly together not just this tiny incrementalism of one radical talking to another radical and doing it in a tiny tiny way demonstration like what we saw in winnipeg in july or in june um and you have over fifteen thousand people show up for uh opposing police violence and some already declaring to abolish the police defund the police um all united in a black lives matter rally that changes a lot of people in a short amount of time in a in an instant really and the scale of what we need to do and the scale of how we need to unite and the amount of connections we need to make is so big that and the and the 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 capitalist we need to confront um these are all such big things that we need to use the biggest tools we have available to us and mass social movements work incredibly to transform people and and to learn how to feel more confident collectively in our ability to actually take on the tiny minority of the ruling class that that exploit us and and have the most to gain from this very unjust system so transformation via struggle is is something that happens when we're in struggle and mass social movements and mass struggles are are huge contributors to that and uh that is something that no small group can cause just because we need it and because we want it that's something that no small group can substitute itself for even solidarity winnipeg wanting to do the work we can and contribute that can't be a substitution for huge and huge and huge amounts of people opening up their idea of their own power through the experience of doing it directly so that that is a very central idea around what we need and how it would take for us to actually be powerful enough to to take on capitalists mm -hmm. ultimately what groups like solidarity winnipeg seek to do is to act sort of like a steam engine and the people are the steam 
Because without the people, what is a steam engine? It's nothing. It can't do anything. Uh, but what is steam just on its own? Well, it dissipates, which is why you need to concentrate it somehow through political organization. And that's what we try to do as Solidarity Winnipeg. Uh, to also to uh, just add something to what you were saying, Teddy, uh, some supporting evidence, some pra- just practical evidence of uh, the idea of like social movements changing people is if you look at the uh if you if you look at opinion polls about things like racism uh in canada and in america before and after the summer of 2020 uh and the the difference is is stark people became far more aware of racism they became far more concerned about it they became far more opposed to it and they placed a much higher priority on it. And so, I mean, like, whatever, like, raising awareness, like that kind of activism, it doesn't do anything. Like, um, only through the shared actions of people can you really change things and change people. Totally. And And on the scale, on the scale that we need, if we really want to be serious about taking on the system we gotta we gotta see like what is the scale of what this battle is and and it's um even if it, even if there is something to be said about um all the smaller one-on-one or or smaller things like i'm sure that not only are people like really sincere doing some of that stuff but also you know you have to start somewhere but it's it's not enough and it's not a replacement for the kind of change, just like you're saying, Robbie, the kind of change that's possible when you, when you're actually in, in struggle, in action, in um, whether it's your opinion on something uh, like racism or your confidence to be able to um, refuse work and go on strike or build connections across your workplace, like all of that, uh, and connecting it to one huge example that people always refer to is like the the way that um, there was a lot of concentrated, or a lot of widespread, I should say, action uh, around the world in opposition to South South African apartheid. In addition to um, people in South Africa fighting apartheid as well. So there's it's yeah there's there's tons of experience uh historical examples and and just sometimes i think the scale of things can lead people to feel despair so i think it's really useful to have a strategy that at least makes sense that that could accomplish something and not force ourselves into a corner where you're stuck realizing what the problems are and not knowing what a strategy might be and so your options are either to despair or to feel doom and gloom without any kind of hope but yeah yeah because i i would also say to that of like if we're gonna build a a world that is democratic at every level we need people to be participating right and you start that participation by saying no in mass to the system that we currently have so it really is the most important thing that we get as many people as possible and it is like a a big really big task because the hegemony is strong but i think in order to be an eco-socialist or a socialist or any sort of left list you have to be um you have to be a little bit of an, an optimist so 
I really believe that that people want better and together we can we can fight for a better world. Yeah, I'll jump in here and say I, I think all those points are excellent points. I I think like it really highlights the the role that a small group like Solidarity Winnipeg located in an isolated part of Canada in, in an isolated part of uh of the world like we're our focus is very small but the work that you can do in in a small group located within a within a community can be very very powerful um you can do a lot of a lot of good work i see like groups like solidarity winnipeg being something like uh when the level of struggle is really low a group that like like-minded people like-minded socialists or eco-socialists in our case can can rally around and find some uh nourishment in and and uh then we can go back and plant the seeds in our communities and and peer groups and workplaces in lieu of yeah. mass social struggle until the next wave comes around, uh, which it will eventually. They're the seeds of. I mean, te- uh, no, Robbie, you used the steam engine metaphor, but we use the the eco socialism metaphor of uh, planting the seeds <laughs> of <laughs> of resistance or revolution or whatever. It's really Marxist, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, like that's something that Solidarity Winnipeg is. It's like a seed bank, uh, or <laughs> you know, like waiting for the rains of the uh, the struggle of revolution to come and water us <laughs> so that we can grow. Yeah, basically, yeah, it's sort of a uh, a collective memory for the working class that we're trying to keep alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I really like that, what you just said there, John, and I really like what you added there too, Robbie, because I do think that as much as it's easy to be, have a range of emotions around talking about ideas and theory, and some people really think of theory as entirely uh, not useful because it's so disconnected from action and they create this impossible and wrong comp- like clash between theory and action. I think that's number one not true (laughs) not real and second of all um i just think like ideas really do matter because whether you want to articulate them or not whether you pay attention to them not or not um you're using your ideas you're using your sense of how your your belief systems um to to guide the decisions you make and solidarity winnipeg and any eco-socialist organization that's worth its worth itself, <laughs> worth its uh, worth the name, um, is interested in um, trying to use and encourage and expand on the best ideas while simultaneously being involved in whatever capacity it has the ability to, and making a positive contribution towards this goal that by its by its you know the type of goal that we're talking about eco-socialism is not a next week kind of a goal it's a very far away so ideas really matter um and they're not just uh in the clouds they they are connected to reality and to practice so yeah yeah Yeah, it's not something you can opt out of you know if you don't pick pick your the ideas that govern your life they kind of get picked for you at least that's what I would argue. Um, yeah, totally. Say, yeah. Might as well choose that, what you believe in. 
You know, they say uh, war is, a, you know, is the continuation of politics by other means. Well, politics, that goes the other way, too. Politics is the continuation of war by other means. And what's the first rule of war? Know your enemy. <laughs> Jesslyn, do you have any kind of final thoughts you want to add? No, I I don't think I have any final thoughts that I want to add. Um... What keeps you in the fight? Well, I think I feel like actually for myself, um, I'm I'm a new member to Solidarity Winnipeg, and I'm fairly new to the idea of eco-socialism as well, too. But I think for me, the turning point was like, I've always known that capitalism, um, you know, didn't work, and it caused a lot of pain, and it causes a lot of suffering. Um, But I think I was kind of stuck in this mentality of like, well, there is no other better alternative. And um, for me, the pandemic especially has just really shown exactly how terrible um, capitalism is. And I just had this idea that it was like, no, there is more that needs to be done. And just sitting here idly by, just assuming that there isn't um, an alternative or not engaging in an alternative um, is a bit ignorant and not very responsible. So um, there has to be hope behind this and we have to um, be optimistic, like you're saying, Posey, because uh, without that optimism, um, the system will drag you down. That's what it's designed to do. Um, They don't you know, the, the elitist, the capitalist class, they don't want us to think for ourselves and act for ourselves. So, um, you know, doing that really is, um, you know, kind of kicks it to the to the system that, that you're saying, like, I'm not going to conform to these ideas because um, I believe in something better. So um, I guess Thank you, everybody, for joining um, and listening today on our podcast. Um, You can, if you're looking for a little bit more information on some of the topics that we talked about, um, you could head over to climateandcapitalism.com. And we'd recommend checking out some of Richard Wolff's lectures on YouTube as well. Um, You can also find us on our website, uh, SolidarityWinnipeg.com. We're on the socials, um, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we would love to have you join us there as well. Should we all say a collective goodbye? Yeah, (laughs) let's do it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. 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 Solidarity Winnipeg is working to lay the basis for an eco-socialist political organization. By that we mean we are a small group of eco-socialist organizers who work in a coordinated way in community groups, in unions, and on campuses to build grassroots power, to educate people to be effective eco-socialist organizers, and to build support for the long-term goal of breaking with capitalism and starting a transition to eco-socialism.